welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our DAP today, Masachet Kitubot, DAP Sadi He, page 95. So we have a new Mishnah here. Um, so again, these Mishnahs are going into a whole bunch of different types of scenarios. And so the scenario that they present here is somebody who's married to two women and he sells his field. Now, remember, often the field was sort of the lien for the ketubah. The katva rishana lalokeach, dina devarim ein li'imach, right? And the wife who he married first basically writes to the person who purchased the field, I don't have any legal dealings or involvement with you. Essentially saying, if she were to collect her ketubah, she's not going to bother that purchaser. The second wife who didn't basically relinquish any claim she had to that property can go ahead and get payment from the purchaser of that property for her marriage contract. Because again, that property was leaned for the payment of the ketubah before it was sold to the purchaser. So one of the things we're seeing again is that the ketubah didn't mean that you had that value in cash, right? Often it was the value you had in property. Right? Then the first wife, okay, can get the field or get money from the second wife as payment for her ketubah. So in other words, the husband sells the field, but the first wife had said to the buyer, I don't have any claim. The second wife goes to the buyer and basically like says, no, actually that land is mine because that's where I was going to get my ketubah from. She gets the land, gets her ketubah. The first wife can then go to the second wife and be like, okay, now that that field is yours, I want to get my, I want to get my ketubah because actually my ketubah predates your, uh, your ketubah, right? And then then the purchaser can go to the first wife, right? And sort of get the field from the first wife because she had, you know, relinquished any of her rights, okay? Sorry, they continued this, like, cycle, okay? Um, until they come to some type of compromise. So in other words, what the mission is trying to say here is, is that in a way, like, they're all entitled, actually, to something. There's a way to work it out. There's a land that has some value, one person relinquished their rights. So they sort of all need to like figure out a way to get anybody who needs their money for the ketubah, their money for the ketubah. And also that he still gets some value of his land, right? And it's interesting that they use this word pshara, that there has to be sort of some type of compromise that gets arrived to all parties. The Gemara, the Mishnah does not say that that first wife isn't entitled to her ketubah. And then finally it says, right? And this also would happen to a creditor and even to a female creditor. So the Gemara starts off by asking, the key katvala my have, right? If the first wife, right, wrote to him, right, you know, what what, what is it? Bahatanya, we learned in a brisa. So we have a price here that says, if somebody says to another, let's say like a joint, a field which jointly owned, 
and one partner says to the other, that's the meaning of the word chaver there, I have no legal, you know, or involvement with this field, or I have no connection to it, or I've withdrawn from it. He said nothing. In other words, it means it, it's not a legal thing to say. So if we look at this brysa, then how is it that if this woman says, right, Dina Dvarim Ainli, you know, you know, Ainli Imach, why is that allowed to be something legal? So the Gemara says, right, um, what are we dealing in? We're dealing when he acquired it from her possession by doing an act of kinyan. So in other words, it's not just that she said it, it's that it was followed up with an act of kinyan. So it shows that like he sort of did an action to show that actually what she said is really legally valid. Whereas what the Bryce is talking about is somebody just says one of these things with no kinyan and it doesn't really count for anything, right? And then the Gemara goes on to say, okay, so if he acquired it from her, you know, then what? Tema, right? Let the woman say afterwards, I just did this to please my husband. I saw he wanted to sell the field. I didn't want to fight with him. And I, I didn't actually like mean it, okay? Me lots not. So didn't we learn in a mission? And here they quote a mission from Masachet Gittin on Dap Nun on 55. Somebody purchased from a man and he went back and purchased right to the property from the man's wife, right? The transaction is nullified. Alma, right? So it seems the wife could say, right? She can say that I did this only to accept, you know, only to, to please my husband and didn't really mean it. I'm a Rabbi Zera, I'm a Rafisa. So Rabbi Zera said in the name of Rafisa, Lo Kasha, this isn't a difficulty. Hab Rabbi Meir, Hab Rabbi Yehuda. And so the Gemara gets in to show that actually the Mishnah, this, our Mishnah here, is the opinion of Rabbi Meir, and the Mishnah in Masachikidin is actually the opinion of uh, Rabbi Yehuda. But I think the point of this Gemara is to really show sort of that, like, the Gemara is finding this is something unusual. Like, they, it doesn't sit well with the Gemara. If you knew that property was the property that was going to pay out your ketubah, why would you do this, right? And so I think, therefore, they sort of have to again, sort of qualify, right? It was done with a Kenyan, or, you know, maybe this is an opinion of one Tana to really understand uh, what this Mishnah is about. And then the Gemara will get into a little bit more discussion about the details, the differences between Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Meir. So it's, it's kind of like an illogical scenario. Like it doesn't, I don't think the Gemara explains well, because I don't think it can. Why would a woman do this? Like, the best that can come up with is she did it for some reason to please her husband, but this wouldn't be something that's typical. Like, again, if you knew that property was where you were going to get your tuba from, why would you give up the rights to that? So I don't have a good answer to that, um, but I want to perhaps take a step back and maybe establish. I feel like we've, we haven't established the forest for the trees, so to speak. Um, I think that part of what's going on in this stuff, and certainly going on in some of what you said in the mission, and then some of what I'm going to read going forward, is what I've learned are, you know, in in the context of, I don't know, philosophy and language, whatever, are called speech acts, right? Where the question is, is the statement that is being made, does it take effect, right? Like, are you just talking, 
which if you're just talking, so that's where the Gemara says, lo amar klum, right? It's, you're just talking. It's, you're not even saying anything. Or is what you said a speech act where the words that you've enunciated constitute like a decision, a bequeathing, uh, right? There's, is there something formal that happens with that? And I think that this is, it's not discussed in any kind of formal way, but I think it's kind of fundamentally underlying what's going on here because, you know, again, when you talk, when this man talks, is he saying something or is he just talking, right? Which the words in English, putting that into English doesn't really convey the point, but right. Is it an effective action that happens to be, um, that happens to go into effect by, by virtue of somebody speaking words or is someone just speaking words? And um, I would say that, you know, stereotypically, I guess we would say that when, you know, in the TV wedding, when a couple says, I do, right, that's a speech act. That's not just talking. So this is my, my it's not a question. It's an observation that I think um, kind of colors a lot of what we're seeing in this discussion of what is a person saying. Right. I think that's what it is. In a society where, like, there's not as much paper trail, oral declarations actually do become important. Right. Something could be important even if it isn't, like, testimony isn't a speech act, per se. Observation isn't a speech act, per se. Declaration may or may not be, depending on the situation, and it's still important, especially if there's no paper trail, when you need one. Um, okay, I'm going to jump to Amabet, where I, I say we have a new wrinkle in the scenario here. Amar Abaye, Nifse Laich Vacharaich Leploni. So let's say we have a man, and he's got his property, and he says to a woman who is not married, my property, I'm bequeathing my property to you. And then after you die, you'll give it to so-and-so. Acharaich Leploni. So that's like the stipulation in the in the fact that she's um, in the fact that she's getting this property. It comes with his final word, so to speak, that it will then go to so and so. But what happens is then the woman gets up and goes gets married, right? Meaning she carries on with her life despite this inheritance. And then what happens? She dies. Bal and so what happens is the husband has taken possession of her property by virtue of the regular rules of inheritance, right? That she's died, so he gets whatever she brought. And the thing, the items that she had inherited from this guy that he bequeathed it to her came into the marriage. She dies, the husband inherits, right? So now what happens? Because what about the, the plony? What about the so-and-so who is supposed to... The answer is too bad, right? The that person who is supposed to get the other guy's property a, after this woman, um, it says he in the end gets nothing because the husband is in place, and because the husband is in place, then that like um, domino effect of of inheritance can kick in because the husband himself is entitled to keep her property. So therefore he keeps it after her death, even though the original guy meant for it to go to somebody else. So now the Gemara wants to know, 
you know, who is this in accordance with? Who who does a buy paskin like? Keman ki hatana. Is it like the Tana? Meaning the Tanya Nikse Laikhlaploni. So is it like this Tana who taught exactly that point? You know, that the my property is going to you and then you'll give it to so and so. Yarad Harishon Omachar Hashemi Motsi Miyala Lukochot Divi Rebi Sorry. So we end up with saying that, you know, here's the case that you have the property, it's gonna it goes after you die, you'll give it to so and so. Then the first person comes in, takes possession of the field, let's say, if it's a field, if it's a landed property as opposed to metal movables, um, and then he sells it, he sells that property. The second one who comes, right, this plony, this so-and-so, has the right to repossess it from whoever it was sold to. And and then, you know, up, but not until the first guy, or, you know, in this case, it's the guy, as opposed to the wedding case, right? Then and once that first guy has died and he can go to the buyer and say, listen, I'm the I'm the heir. It's supposed to be mine. And that seems to be reviewed in a seized position because he says that the first guy who's parallel to the woman in the the first case, the um the first um heir has the right to use the property, but he can't give it away to someone else forever because he's supposed to hand it off to, to the next guy. And then we have a different opinion. Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel says the second um, heir is only entitled to get whatever it is that the first guy left over. So the question of whether the first guy has to save anything for him, which is the implication of Rabbi Huna Nasi's position, it seems not to be the great concern, at least not of Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel. Right? And then the Gamar concludes here, right? The the point is that it leaves here to say that Abai's position, right? Abai is saying there's nothing left. It goes to the husband, lines up with Rabbi Shem ben Gamliel and not with Rabbi Yudanasi. But now the Gemara wants to say, but what about, are you sure about this? Are you sure about this, about Abai? Umi amar Abai hachi, amar Abai ezu rasha arum, ze amasi eitzalim kor benechasim he says, Abai said, didn't Abai himself say, right? Who is a wicked person? A room, a, a trickster, a cunning person, but in a negative sense, this term a room is used, of course, to discuss as a term to describe the Nachash, the serpent in Gan Eden in the Garden of Eden, right? So who is such a person? One who gives um, his friend advice to sell property according to this opinion of Rab Shimon ben Gamliel, meaning the idea that you're going to prevent the, the second guy from coming to get your stuff because you've given it all away or you've sold it or whatever. And Rab Shimon ben Gamliel says that's okay. And Abai says, sure, it might work, but that's not a very nice way to conduct yourself. Mika Amartina say, ni kamar. So now the Gemara goes back to our first case about the woman who got was getting married. Right, does it say, did he, Abaye, say that the woman should get married in order to keep the stuff, the property from so-and-so? Or is it just that she got married because she had a life, which is the way I explained it, right? And this seems to be the what's going on here, right? It's not Tina say that she should go get married to keep her, to keep the stuff out of the hands of the, of the plony, out of the so-and-so. Rather, Nisait, this was her life. She went and got married. Fact that she got married, meaning she's not supposed to not get married to keep the property 
away from her husband, right? That would also not be fair. Then she would never have accepted it to begin with, I would guess. So then the Gemara actually provides another statement of Abai with exactly this kind of case. Again, somebody says to, now, but this time it's a married woman. Someone says to a married woman, my property goes to you. And after you you die, it will go to so-and-so. And then what happens? She sells the property. Then she dies. Her husband can go claim it back from whoever bought it because he's her heir. And then the, the, the so-and-so who's supposed to get it after her can come and get it back from her husband, according to this position. And then, and then really, we're playing musical chairs here. And then the person who bought it from the woman to begin with can then come back and take it from the plony, from the so-and-so who took it from the husband, who took it from the buyer because he had bought it. And he can then t- repossess it to take it for his for himself. Um, at the end of the day, it go, the, the property goes to the, it, um, is returned, I guess, to the hands of the lokech, of the buyer, because she sold it. But in the meantime, everybody's got the right to repossess. And I imagine that if no, if people didn't necessarily want to be bothered with it, right, then you might end up with it going to the so-and-so and the and the customer, the buyer at this point saying, Ugh, enough already, right? This is crazy. Or maybe if you don't know, if you don't know this halacha, someone's going to come and repossess your stuff and you're not going to know that you could go, you know, in a roundabout way and get it back yourself. Um, okay. I want to jump down just to the very end of the Gemara so that we can... Uh, finish off the parakeet. Can I just say something? Like I, this is really like a unique way of handling these things. Like I don't, like I don't see that anyone would construct something like this in modern in the modern world. Because it's wacko. It's wacko. <laughs> Pardon me. The right. Gemara is not wacko. It's the idea that you could like repossess and repossess and repossess, and then it goes back to the original person. That's wacko. Right, that it's sort of like you could be like, oh, I'm designating it to you. It's really your property, but after you, it goes to this person. Then it could go to this person, and then it comes back. Like, it doesn't make sense, but I guess for them, this, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not, I didn't, like, totally understand this. I think it preserves the buyer's rights because he bought it. But on the other hand, there's this, you know, the last will and testament that, that, that says give it to Plony. So let's honor that. So that, you know, so he can come and collect it. And the husband inherits from his wife. So we're going to honor that. So he can come and repossess it. Right. But but at the end of the day, what's, you know, Chazal, I don't think that they like this idea that um, you, that you that you disrupt the. The passage of what do you call it, like who's inheriting from whom? Who has that right? But somebody bought it like they've come and they've paid their good money. And now the husband can inherit his wife's earnings by selling it, you know, the, from the sale. He shouldn't be able to get both. Right. So it seems like something gifting is not the same as purchasing. It seems that gifting is not the same as purchasing, even when right. it's a bequeath, even when it's a inheritance. Right. I think that's true. All right. Finish uh, up the paragraph. So the does continue to discuss this, and did I really say this? Right? There's a lot of we're not, we're nearly to the end of the of this section of the daf, and and still we don't quite have the end of it. But again, I'm jumping to the very end because 
the our time is short and we want to close off this parak. This is a citation from the Mishnah, right? That this is also going to apply to a creditor. And that's even going to be for a female creditor, by the way. What does that mean? If we have if we have um a case where let's say somebody owes a hundred dinar to a creditor, at, meaning somebody who loaned the money, and then he sells property. And he sells, again, we've seen this case before, 50 dinar to two different people. And then the the guy who gave him the loan to begin with says, I'm not going to come and repossess it from the from the second purchaser, but he can still repossess it from the first purchaser, right? And then the first purchaser can repossess it from the second purchaser because he's still entitled to get it from the person that he bought it from, the, the value of the what he's bought. Then the creditor can again repossess from the first purchaser and then the second purchaser, you could really, it's mind swimming, right? The second purchaser could come and reclaim it from the creditor. I feel like, you know, Yardina, when we made those charts at the very beginning of Yavamot with those arrows circling around all over the place, that's exactly what this is, except for without the marriage and Yavam type of situation, right? The idea that who has the right to it shifts and shifts again and shifts again. And that cycle is going to continue until they just, and this is literally the note that I see here, the cycle continues until they reach a compromise. Meaning, that's that's the statement here. It's going to go around and around and around and around until someone says, okay, I'm out. You know, which is really an right. interesting way to deal with this kind of law. Right, because again, I think what it's trying to say is everybody really does have a claim. And so yeah. you guys, you guys got to do sure. You have to sort of figure it out. I'm sure is a term we use, you know, in baiting today. Also, like when you go to a baiting today, they like you to do sure. Yeah. They want you to figure out a compromise. It's not about like the 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 judge saying this is what it should be. Well, and the last line of the whoa 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 the v'chein isha balat chov ushne lukuchot. Even if it's a woman who was trying to collect her tuba, let's say, and she's trying to get it from the estate. And now you've got purchasers who had purchased the money from him. I mean, purchased the property from him. And now she's going to go to the to them, to the Lukuchot, and say, "You, I'm going to repossess because I need my ketubah, right? And so, again, she can collect from the one, but not from the other. But then the other can collect from the other and around and around. We are done with this parag. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadra website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 